Morning. Morning. Pastor Rob, welcome to our 1030 service. We are uh, taking a break. If you've been here with us for a number of months, we have been in the Gospel of Matthew, series of uh, studies in the Gospel of Matthew, which we will return. We're, we're only about a quarter or so through that study. Um, but I'm going to take a break for some weeks, and I decided to do this after Easter to do this series of messages called Simply a Christian. Simply Christian. I was in uh, the gym recently, and this guy who I know, you know, I'd call him a gym friend, as to say, I don't usually see him outside there, but we, I probably talk to him a couple times a week, and he came up to me and he said, um, uh, can I want to ask you, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And he said, would it be right for me to assume that a majority of your congregation, he knows I'm a pastor, would vote um, for President Trump for a second term? Okay, great opening question, I guess, right? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I don't really talk to people, uh, you know, uh, generally about their, their politics or their political affiliation. My guess is, you know, uh, the congregation is a mix of Republicans, Democrats, independents, you know, whatever. So he let that go. And he said, um, uh, have you read the Mueller report? <laughs> and uh, he had his phone. He was, and he's, he, he's a really uh, uh, very politically interested. In, and I uh, didn't say much. And he said, well, I've, I, I'm reading it. And I've downloaded all 448 pages of it. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And I said... Um, <laughs> I said, so I had this sort of epiphany right there in the moment, and, and this was true, and I said to him, you know, I'm actually listening to one of your guys right now, and I pulled out my phone, and he goes, who? And I said, King David. He's Jewish, this man, okay? And I said, King David. And he said, uh, and I said, um, he got interested, and I said, do you know, do you remember the Babylonian um, captivity? He's a Jewish man. And I, he kind of looked at me like, I think, I know what you're saying. And I said, well, you know how the Old Testament ends? The Old Testament ends, and the people of God, um, it's, it's, it's lights out. They, they, their, their enemies come, they destroy the city of Jerusalem, they burn the temple, they cart off all the people to Babylon, which was the great arch enemy of the Jewish people at this time. And I said, it was kind of like the end of the world, the Old Testament. You remember that? I go, do you remember what the prophet Jeremiah, God sent, the great prophet Jeremiah, um, do you remember what he said? And he goes, no, what did he say? And I said, well, what he said was this. He said to the people of Israel, now living in Babylon, after their city was destroyed, their temple was burned, it was lights out. He said, Get, lift your heads up. This paraphrase, but I said, lift your heads up. Don't be so discouraged. This is not the end of the world. In fact, you're not here uh, because of some, you know, mistake. God actually sent you here and you are by the way not going to be here forever you're only going to be here for such and such a time but let me tell you what the Lord has sent me to tell you do not spend these years here staying inside your house 
you know, looking at the clock, cursing the darkness, complaining about your captors, and complaining about those people that are around you. God has sent you here to this place, away from your home, for a very specific purpose. They said, what is it? This is a paraphrase, but this is what he said. I said to my friend, he said, listen, build houses, marry off your sons, marry off your daughters, Invest yourself in this community. Care about the school system. Care about the health care system. Make this city a better place. Seek the peace of this city. And as you seek the peace of the city, and when you achieve a peace in this city, then it will be time for you to go home. And I said to my friend, listen, this is my concern for you, that you're so focused on the headlines, you're so focused on the naysayers about our own time and day. And there were naysayers, let me tell you, were there naysayers in Jeremiah's time? Absolutely there were. There are naysayers in our own. But my concern for you is you're so focused on this that you are going to miss what God is actually doing and right here in our time, what is actually really going on in the world around us, and the opportunities that are available to you and available to me. And I would say to you, this is really my concern <laughs> by way of introduction for many of us. I don't know, some of you were here, I'm hoping, and this was sort of planned, that you know, you're checking out this church after Easter Sunday. You're a kicking the tires a person. I hope if you're like my friend, he's not a, even a church-going man at all in this case, but if you're, whether you're kicking the tires or you've been a Christian for a long time, my, what I mean by simply Christian is not simple, okay? That's not the message you're going to get today, and it's not what this series is about. I mean simple as in essential, right? What is the essential Christian message really all about? My hope for this series is that we will look past the headlines, look past the naysayers. I'm talking about the Christian faith, too, Look past a pseudo-Christian faith, which is alive and well, to the real thing, and then ask ourselves what a commitment to the real thing, how that might truly change your life. A couple books that I read in preparation, I'll just mention this quickly to those of you who want to take all of this a little step further for this series. One, uh, a classic, uh, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis's middle of the 20th century uh, should be required reading for all of us, I think. Tim Keller, a book written a handful of years ago, four, five, six, can't remember, Making Sense of God, excellent read. And then the book from which I borrowed the title of this series anyway, N.T. Wright's um, Simply Christian. This message is from Colossians chapter 1. You have a copy of the Bible by way of introduction. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, a message titled, It's All about Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now this is some of the most exalted language in the New Testament, and it represents these verses, some of the richest theology in the New Testament. You might say these verses are kind of like the cover of a puzzle box, right? And everything that God is set, does, and everything that is really said in the entire New Testament and everything that God has been doing, right? It's talked about creation, both in the past all the way up to the conclusion of history, right? Right, verse 20, is contained in this passage. One writer said this about this passage of Scripture. It is the principle running the universe, or here in this passage, the principle running the universe gets a heart, a purpose, and a face. That person, of course, is Jesus Christ. And this passage says he is the image of the invisible God. couple things quickly. I told you this wasn't a simple message, okay? Number one, he made the invisible God, which for all time, right? Remember, think of you're living 2,000 years ago. The Jewish faith was thousands of years old. It was the dominant faith really in the world in a manner of speaking. And it said it made the invisible God visible, right? God became a man. He also... He actually, he's he's the image of God. We are called the image of God, right? Genesis chapter one, we were made in the image of God, which means all people have dignity. Any person, all people have dignity, no matter what your background, no matter your your, your socioeconomic status, whether you're a saint or a criminal or whatever, all people have human dignity. We're made in the image of God, but here's what we know. All of us are imperfect because sin has damaged the image of God right? All my pistons don't fire. I got some flat tires. I got my, you know, my life doesn't work right. I'm not a good reflection, a perfect reflection of God. Either are you. But Jesus, not only, this, this small passage tells us, made the invisible God visible, but he also demonstrated to us what humanity is actually supposed to look like. He's perfect humanity. And, by the way, if that wasn't enough, verse 18, he became a man and he died. God died. And he rose from the dead. All of that is in this passage, and it's not even the half of what is in this passage. Okay? This is all by way of introduction. My first point. Jesus is the interpretive key to all of life. Okay? That's really what this passage is saying. And what, I, what do I mean by that? Don't walk, I hope you don't walk away and go, that was a really interesting bunch of theology. You've missed everything I had to say, okay? Jesus is the interpretive key of life. Not only natural life, the natural universe, right? He's the, he's the firstborn among all creation. Jesus was God's agent of creation. 
Right? Everything that happened in Genesis 1, all those amazing, the realities, the flora, the fauna, the physical, the metaphysical, Jesus Christ is the agent. He's over all creation, over the natural universe. But verse 18, he's also over the moral universe, and he is the head of the body, the church. Right? He's also over, which he also means he is over our lives. Let me say something about the letters of the New Testament, including this letter, the letter, this highfalutin theology we just read, okay, this, this exalted language. The letters of the New Testament were not written to the academy, okay? They were letters written to local churches. And I won't read it all because we don't have time, but the opening verses gives you the reason of this particular letter, verse 10. Why am I writing to you? So that you can, you know, write a book, so that you can, um, you know, uh, uh, put, put something in a journal. No, so that you might live a life worthy of the Lord. Please Him in every way. Bear fruit. Grow in knowledge. Be strong, verse 11, right? The letters of the New Testament, including this one, were written to change people's lives. You were born by His purpose for His purpose. That's what this is really saying. You were born by his purpose. What is life all about, Rob? Does life have meaning? Uh, you know, do I create my own meaning in life? You were born by his purpose and for his purpose, said in another way, verse 17. He is before all things and in him, in him, you're part of something larger as a Christian. You've been put in the person of Jesus Christ. In him, all things hold together. Not just the universe, not just the moral universe, your life, my life. In him, all things hold together. N.T. Wright, out of this book, interesting quote. There are two golden rules at the heart of the Christian spirituality. You become like what you worship, number one, and worship makes you more truly human, number two. When you worship the one in whose image you were made, you discover more of what it means to be fully alive. I'm inviting you, I'm suggesting to you that some of us don't know the Christian faith. We've confused it for some kind of moral, um, you know, stair steps. We've confused it for some kind of bootstrapping. We've confused it with some kind of religious exercises. And I'm saying to you, listen, the beginning and the middle of the end, the interpretive key of all of life is Jesus Christ. It's in Him by all things consist. It's only in Him that we understand our meaning. And I'm encouraging us wherever you are in the spectrum, to a deeper worship to Jesus, not because God is a small ego, not because God really you know, is nervous if you don't pay attention to him. He doesn't need you. We need him because we become like what we worship. And we need to worship the one in whose image we were made because only then will you discover what it means to be fully alive. Everything we do this should be the case. Everything we do as a church, having worship services, doing Flower City Work Camp, uh, studying the Bible, being involved in a committed small group, serving in the city, praying, fasting, whatever the case may be, everything we do 
is a means to an end. And that end is not to earn favor with God. That end is not to, you know, put up, achieve something on a scorecard. The end is simply that you or I might deepen our relationship with the living God because we become like what we worship. Jesus Christ is the interpretive key of all life. It's in him that all things consist, in, including your life and including mine. And if that's not the version of Christianity you've heard about, or maybe you did and you got off the track, it's time to get back to simply Christian. That's what I mean. Well, how do you do that, Rob? Well, it's going to take us some weeks to talk about it. Let me say one thing that maybe is the most obvious, but I hope you hear it with new ears. One way is you need to fall in love again with the Word of God, okay? Or maybe fall in love for the first time with the Word of God. And let me tell you what this isn't. It's not a handbook on morality. And it's not even a textbook on the truth. No, no, it's not. It's, an in, it's, it's a revelation about the reality of God, okay? And it's an invitation into that reality right here and right now in our life, okay? That's what the Word of God is. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, very quickly. It's all by way of introduction. It is because of him... It's talking about God the Father in this case. You have to, that you are in Christ Jesus. Now, some of us have no idea what that means, and some of us kind of do. But this is the Bible way of talking about being a Christian. What happens in some supernatural way, it's hard for us to appreciate. But what it means to become a Christian, remember, Jesus Christ is the interpretive principle of all of life. In him, all things were created by him and for him, and in him, all things consist. For lack of a better, it's like he's the ocean and you're put into it. And what he's saying is, listen, what it means to be a Christian is, God, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us, circle that, has become for you wisdom. And what he means by wisdom is a word that means application, right? You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, it's not helping you at all. Wisdom is, how, is, is the ability to use knowledge. And listen, Jesus Christ is your wisdom. Well, what does that mean? Paul, here's going to tell you. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Our righteousness, holiness, and what in the world does that mean? I told you it wasn't a simple message, Okay. But it's very important. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is my righteousness? It means this. What is simple Christianity? If you think what it means to be a Christian is you offer your best to God, and if it's good enough, he accepts you, that's not Christianity. If you think Christianity is climbing your way to heaven, if it's earning points with God, if it's I'm going to take the Bible and do my best to conform to its teachings, you've completely misunderstood Christianity. You, you don't have the real thing. What, it, what Christianity is this? Because of Jesus Christ accepting what he has done for me, in him, right, he has become for us righteousness. 
And as I continue to receive from God, it's not what I do for God, it's what God has done for me. And as I begin to, why do I pray, or am I encouraging you to pray? Why do I read the Bible, encouraging you to read the Bible? Why do I fast and encouraging you to fast? Why do I do those things? Not to earn favor with God, not to earn stripes with God, not to go to be a graduate Christian. No, those things are means of the life of Jesus Christ to come in through the Spirit of God to bring about the transformation of His character in mine. He is in Jesus. He is my righteousness. He did what I could not do. He is my holiness. Some of us are on some sort of, let's, you know, let's, let's become a holy roller. It's a, a, a pejorative. Let's, let's, let's create our own sort of goodness, our own holiness. We're moving in the opposite direction of the Christian faith. He is our righteousness, he is our holiness, and he is our redemption, which is a Bible word taken from economics that says, listen, it's about a recovery of what was once lost. Well, what was lost? The image of God, right? There's not a person in this room who's perfectly representative of the image of God. We're all broken. We all got our gears that are gunked up. We all got flat tires. Our wires are, are crossed, only Jesus, but Jesus Christ is perfect humanity. And in union with him, righteousness, holiness, it's all about him. He begins to um, bring us back to where we were once made to be. Okay? Jesus Christ is the interpretive key of all of life. Second point. Maybe my last one this morning. Okay? <laughs> to be a Christian is to enter a great adventure. Right? Is that the case for you? Do you see Christianity as a great adventure? Or as something you just have to do? Or tick off the box? Or stay out of hell? Or make your husband or wife happy? Or your mother happy? You know, or or uh, whatever the case may be. Or to be a respectable person. Okay? To be a Christian. Now you say, well, Rob, where do you get that? I'll tell you where I get that. Jesus Christ, the firstborn... He's before all things. He's the supremacy. He's the head not only of all of creation. He's the head of the church. Okay? What is the church? That's what he says, verse 18. And he is the head of the body. That is, metaphor, the church. That's what we're doing here today. Well, what is the church? Well, some of us might think, again, I don't know what your background is, that the church is a sort of um, social, uh, uh, religious organization, right? It's sort of a social club in Jesus' name. And you might think that. Maybe that's even your experience, right? But that's not, let me tell you what the Bible says it is, what this passage says it is. And it's going to feel a little like, hmm, I doubt it. It doesn't feel right. But let me tell you what it says. The church of Jesus Christ is humanity as it is was created to be, okay? In other words, it's, it's what humanity supposed, what does that mean? It's this. It's people of all different races and backgrounds and problems and successes of different genders and different back, you know, it's all different people who come together. One, one theologian I like said, uh, you know, they're natural enemies, who only come together because of Christ. That's a paraphrase. But they're people who come together out of a world that's full of conflict 
but they come together through their relationship with the living Jesus and they learn how to love each other and serve each other and care about each other and, do, do, and go the extra mile for each other and through that they become a demonstration of perfect humanity, a demonstration of love to a hope-starved world. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be about. We're sort of building the plane as we fly it. You might say, well, that sounds great, but if that's true, we got a long way to go, okay? And I would say to you, yes, we do, but see, Christianity, this adventure, it's a growth adventure, right? We are building the plane or the life as we are flying it. And you need to face and battle your demons, so to speak, along the way, which is why you need other people and you need the living word of God. You might say, well, that sounds wonderful, uh, Rob, but I'm with you. We need each other. What about the cranky people? <laughs> you know, what are they doing in the church? <laughs> this is what I'd say about the cranky people, okay? We have them. We thought about kicking you out, okay? <laughs> but God's not done with you yet, okay? He's not done with me yet, right? But let me tell you what this passage says about the church, okay? See, people want to dismiss it because it doesn't work right. This is what Jesus said about the parables. We'll look at this later this summer. Well, you know what the parables are of Jesus? A little commercial. They're... They're showing you the church, but they, by nature, they're all the illustrations are underwhelming. Jesus says, well, what's a mustard seed, right? It's the smallest of seeds. People, they don't even, they, they brush it off the counter when you buy them because they're not even worth anything. He says, that's the church. And a lot of people think it's worthless and it's, it has no value and it's never going to make a difference. But he said, in my point of view, in my kingdom, let me tell you something. That little seed that you brushed off and you ran for the, headlines, you know, the Hollywood, whatever. You ran for some other thing you're going after. Let me tell you, that seed becomes a tree. And it becomes something that all the birds of the air find a home in, right? It's, a, it's, it's don't be fooled, okay, by what you see. The church of Jesus Christ, let me say this too. It's a community that does not simply exist to meet its own needs. We do some of that. It's not a social club. But what this passage tells us is it's a community that's designed to fulfill God's purposes to reconcile the world. And through him, just got done talking about the church, to reconcile to himself all things. Now, when I was a young Christian... This is what I was taught. I don't know if this is true for any of you in this room. I was taught, I, I, this isn't, these are my paraphrase. It was the Hearts and Minds campaign. What the Church of Jesus Christ is about is it's saving souls, saving hearts, saving minds. The world's going to hell. Souls are going to hell. I think the Bible teaches this. And we need to get out there and we need to do everything we can to save people and take them from the clutches of um, eternal damnation. And I'm not saying that isn't in the Bible, okay? Serious stakes. But what happens to the government? What happens to the school system? What happens to business ethics? What happens to the environment? Who cares? Because it's all going to hell anyway, eventually. 
And what God really cares about is focused on all for one thing, hearts and minds. I love that in a sense, right? We send people to missionaries. It's wonderful. But guess what? It's not what the Bible teaches, okay? For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all hearts and minds. No, all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, okay? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know why the, one of the reasons the Jewish people rejected Jesus? I told you this wasn't a simple message, okay? You know why they did? Because they were very smart. They understood their Bible. They believed in a resurrection from the dead, Jewish people, people of the Old Testament. But here's what they, this is what they believed, understandably so, that the resurrection happened at the end of the story, end of the movie. And God comes and, all, and Israel happens and all this conflict and failure and difficulty and God, Jesus comes riding on the white horse or, or the Messiah comes riding on the white horse and, uh, uh, and, and it's all done. And then that chapter ends, period, the tough, difficult era of the old world. And then we start with a new heaven and a new earth. And everyone rises from the dead. But see, God had to mess all that up. And this is what he does. In the middle of the movie, which is the broken old world that we still live in, God says, I'm going to take the end of the movie... And I'm going to send him right into the middle of the movie. And I'm going to have him rise from the dead. And instead of ending the old era and cleaning it all up, I'm going to bring the future into the present. And how I'm going to change the world is not by um, scorched earth. Because if God did the scorched earth approach, none of us would be. Not a single person in this room would make it. Okay? So he says, I'm not going to do it that way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come into the world, rise from the dead, and then I'm going to start this humble little organization that people think is a religious social club. It's a mustard seed. And I'm, but I'm going to put the power of Almighty God. Jesus is the interpretive key of all of life. He is my righteousness. He is my holiness. He is my redemption. I'm going to put a, a, a 400 cylinder engine in this thing. <laughs> I'm going to, that shows you how old I am, okay. Uh, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put this thing in there and we are going to, over time, change the world. And we're going to, so you so, see some people say to me, I'd, I'd, I'd consider Christianity if the world wasn't such a mess. If there wasn't so much conflict and genocide and war and, and divorce and drugs because that shows me that, 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 that God really isn't a very good manager. No, no, he's a good manager. But here's the thing. Um, the Christian church does not work from the top down. Yes. Say, um, that's what the Crusades got wrong. That's what the Puritans got wrong. Let's legislate morality. Listen, that's what the religious right got wrong Amen. in the 20th century to a degree. That's not how it works. It makes sense. I think sometimes I say, God, why don't you just come in Destroy the bad guys, bless the good guys, and let's move on. <laughs> right? That's the way we preach and teach. But see, what we, we're, we're, we're missing something because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If God took that approach, not a single person in this room would make it. 
and God would be just. Okay, I'm out of time, but let's read this first. Let me tell you what the church of Jesus Christ is about. You know this passage, but listen carefully when we're done. Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, this is the church, okay? Have the same mindset as Jesus. So he's going to give you some big theology, but it's really advice. Have the same mindset. Who being in the very nature God, think about it. He made the visible, invisible, visible. Who being in the very nature God, if anybody could say my way or the highway, if anybody could say tote the line or else, if anyone could say I'm changing the, uh, I'm wiping this thing out, it's him who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God. It's another way of talking about he's God. To be something to be used for his advantage. I'd do it that way. Rather than pull out his phaser, you know, he made himself nothing. Wow, who thought that plan up? By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He said, listen, there's only one way to turn the world around. I'm going to come in the middle of the movie. I'm going to start an organization that's going to change the world, not with top-down politics, not with top-down military might, but it's going to come with a, with a bottom-up love that's going to show people that instead I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to, I'm going to walk the extra mile. I'm going to show you what it means like to love your wife the way Christ loves his church, and on and on and on. We're going we're gonna to do it from the bottom up. We're going to be a mustard seed, right? And this is, but here's, here's, what, here's the challenge, guys. If, you, if the Christian life is a great adventure, but you have to make a fundamental decision once you know Jesus, that you want to give up your desire to have a nice life, okay? Some of the reasons some of us have not experienced the true Christian faith, see, we haven't given that up. We think we want a nice life plus Jesus. But what the Bible says is, listen, I, want, I got an adventure. I got a world to save. I got a school system to save. I got a government to save. I got an environment to save, all in the name of Jesus and of souls and hearts and minds. Absolutely. We got to do it. And this is what I need. I need people who are willing to say no to a nice life, no to a small ambition, and get on a plane and go to Senegal and work with deaf folks, right? I need people who are willing, a friend of mine and his wife, to take in his niece who was in trouble and needed a place to live and said, you can stay with us for a year. I need people, right, who are willing like another friends of mine who both have raised their kids and they have professional careers, but they said, you know what? We're going to come every Wednesday night and we're going to mentor women, young girls. We're going we're, we're we're to cut that time out because we want to make a difference. We got to be the kind of people, like another friend of mine who retired young from a very uh, great career and said, a uh, high-powered career and said, I wanna, I'm going to give myself to the refugee situation in Rochester. That's going to be my full-time situation. You know, that's the kind of thing that we need to do. 
But you have to give up your desire. I have to give up my desire to want to live a nice life and be willing, right, to say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, right? Jesus Christ is the interpretive key of all of life. In him, all things consist. He holds everything together, right? To be a Christian is to live a great adventure. Are you living one? And my last point, which I'm only going to state and pray, but it's the essence of this passage, is if Jesus is the Lord of your life, he, you need to live under his rule, right? That's why some of us aren't living the kind of life that we see here is because we're not, all of our life is not under his rule. Your mind, your heart, your family, your pocketbook, your home. And he needs to have supremacy in all things, not to boost his ego, but to change your life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. We, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you do for us. God, I just pray for everyone in this room, everyone listening online. Lord, wherever we are, if we have not tasted, experienced the true faith of the gospel, we've never really encountered what the gospel is, what the Bible says, what it means to be a Christian. Help us, Lord, to open our lives to that truth today. And if we have been a Christian, but somewhere along the line, we've gotten... Um, distracted by the headlines, distracted by the naysayers, distracted, uh, Lord, by our own fears and anxieties, distracted by our own point of view. Lord, help us. Uh, um, redeem us. Bring us back to a place of true relationship with the visible God with the Lord and Savior who is, has become our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.